Welcome in to Tapping the Keg Daily for September 4th slash 5th. This is the Wisconsin September importance rankings. Then we're going to do takeaways from Brewers Phillies. We'll talk a little bit about Brewers Pirates. And then we will also talk about the Badgers win over the Buffalo Bulls. And that will be today's show. It's a hybrid. Uh, we're taping it late uh, Monday after Monday morning. Uh, so it'll be up probably right around the noontime hour. So if you're doing yard work for Labor Day, it's hot as shit. Uh, so <laughs> stay hydrated. It's either there for you now or it's there for you on Tuesday. And then we'll be back at it uh, with a pod on Wednesday. But that will be with my good friend Murph. Uh, he's on there. State of the Union for the Packers. We're going to talk about that. Then with Mitch on Thursday for Tapping the Keg, where we'll get into Packers Bears. And then on Friday, you'll have me kind of breaking down the betting lines for Bears Packers for Wisconsin, Washington State, and maybe talk a little bit about Brewers Yankees. We won't have lines because I'm going to tape it early because I have a wedding this week. But still, it is an awesome week of podcasts. Like, I'm fired up for this week of podcasts. This is definitely. Uh, I think what I would, I always want and always kind of hope and dream of uh, getting a couple, you know, so I'm not talking to myself so much and talking with the boys, getting getting a good good base of pot. So you have a lot from us today. There's no reason why you can't support the pot in other ways, though. Tapping the keg on Twitter, tapping the keg sports on Instagram, as well as TikTok. We're hovering around 800 for TikTok. I think I told you guys that I was going to get 800 on TikTok like a month ago, maybe. And I had I got up to 819. I was like, oh, it's fucking awesome. Like this is great. And then TikTok took away a ton of bot followers. Um, so I am just at the cusp of 800. I think I'm at like 797 or something like that. So if you are on TikTok, you're not following Tapping the Keg Sports, what are you waiting for? Uh, we would really appreciate that. So go ahead and do that. Uh, but yeah, let's get into today's program with the Wisconsin September importance rankings. For those who are unfamiliar with importance rankings, we do this every month. Uh, it's a soul, it's become a solo pod. I think I used to do it with Mitch. And then I just kind of did this at the start of every month where we look at the most important Wisconsin sports things for the month, the, the current month. So September is obviously the month that we are in. Uh, it doesn't feel like it, obviously, with the weather, as mentioned earlier. Uh, but it, it is September. And we'll not only look at games... Uh, players, coaches, it's its just all the people that matter. Um, and I had quite a list of nominees. Uh, it was It's a hard September because this is such a big September for the state of Wisconsin. Like if we zoom out here a little bit, think about this. It's the Green Bay Packers under Jordan Love. It's the first, you know, first Jordan Love sort of experience. What are we going to get out of Jordan Love and the Green Bay Packers? That's number one. Number two, we have the Milwaukee Brewers who are fighting for the NL division, NL Central Division crown with the Chicago Cubs as they're three and a half games up as we tape today. And then you also have a new look Wisconsin Badgers team who has a very difficult game this coming Saturday. Uh, some questions remain after week one. And so, yeah, it's, it's a huge month. And it's also a month where I think we all have to keep it cool. Like we talked about it about a month ago, month and a half ago about patience and saying how it's really important that you can't overreact too much. I know I will, right? Like, I know I will. I know I'll lose my mind about something, whether it's good or bad, after week one of the Packers season. I think it's really easy to overreact in the NFL versus like college football. I think college football, you know, because of the opponents and everything else, it gives you that time to not like 
be thrown in the shit. I, I will say like LSU, right? If you watched that game yesterday, LSU fans are freaking out. Everyone thought LSU was a stealth playoff contender and now everyone's like, are we sure? I still think LSU could be good, but LSU kind of is like a elevated version of what I thought Colorado would be where... I, I thought that it would take time for LSU because all their corners were new. All their corners were, you know, in the early stages of, of their development. And it would take some acclimation period to get comfortable there. I wasn't, I'm not a huge Jaden Daniels fan either. Um, so I expected LSU to kind of have a similar rise as they did last season. Uh, but that, you know, still could happen. And they got walloped by Florida State, a team I loved. I love Florida State. I love Penn State. Um, I'm regretting now not taking Florida State to the playoff at plus 240 before the season started. Uh, that was an error by me, but I had a lot of errors in that in that category. So we don't we don't necessarily need to talk about it. But yeah, you have to be patient. Is I think the word of the month. If you're saying what is the word of the month, it's patience. It's keeping it keeping your cool. You know, the Brewers are probably going to lose two games, and maybe the Cubs get close in the divisional race, but you have to kind of maintain sort of that good attitude and make sure that it's not going to be, you know, losing your mind and losing your shit. And, and it's, it just takes time to know what you really have with both teams with the Brewers. I think it's just, you know, obviously maintaining, uh, they're more on the maintaining than the patience. I think you can still have patience with the Brewers, but obviously last year, last month of the season you kind of hope that this is the final push and especially with an easy schedule that the Brewers do have that it seems like it's on the table for the Brewers to pull away at some point number one to dive into the importance rankings now number one is Jordan Love it has to be Jordan Love this is such a big month for Jordan Love uh and Jordan Love matters so much in terms of what he does and he will be under a microscope at the start of the season um you know Bill Huber wrote a great piece talked to Aaron Rodgers about what you know Jordan Love might be going through and Rodgers was gracious enough to give his opinion uh to you know Bill Huber and the Green Bay media basically saying like you know the shoes are never as big as you think they are it seems like Rodgers set Jordan Love up for success. I think the pressure on Jordan Love is not the same as Aaron Rodgers. Remember, in 2008, Aaron Rodgers got booed at family night, right? Aaron Rodgers was not necessarily this beloved son uh, that he became in 2009 and then in 2010, obviously, winning the Super Bowl. But there were a lot of people that were not Rodgers guys and gals right at the start of the Rodgers era. I think at the start of the Jordan Love era, everybody is bought in. Everybody has Jordan Love's back. And I've talked about this a lot in the summer about how I think that's so important. And I I do expect Jordan Love to play with a lot of confidence. I think it helps him that he's not starting out in Green Bay, that he's able to play on the road and sort of not necessarily have all the noise, all of the attention around him, that he can kind of just be his own guy, get in the hotel room, get good sleep, and just play football and ball out. And I think there is that real opportunity that Love has in front of him. And I I don't expect it to be terrible. Uh, I think if it is terrible and we're doing October importance rankings, probably on Tuesday, I think, because October ends right at the, I think first day of October is a Sunday. So I think if we're talking to you on a Tuesday about, about this stuff, I doubt that we are saying Jordan Love is terrible. I would be so surprised if Jordan Love looks like a bottom five quarterback, I would be 
equally surprised if Jordan Love looks like a top five quarterback. If Jordan Love's getting MVP hype, which I think would be, you know, overreactive, but that's what we do in, in the NFL media circles. Like we can't help ourselves but overreact in the NFL world. So I, I look at this and I, I still feel like Jordan Love, you know, will be even keel, will be an above average quarterback will do some things that you absolutely love that we'll clip, we'll put on Twitter, we'll put on TikTok, and then there'll be things that will drive you fucking crazy. And there's stuff that you're not used to, whether it is him running with the football and he fumbles, right? Or it's him, you know, forcing a pass that we don't really see Aaron Rodgers do. I think that at times Aaron Rodgers was too conservative and I it hurt the Packers and now I look at it and I I wonder if that's going to be a change that Packer fans are going to have to get used to but yeah Jordan Love easy number one no question about it kind of like the Georgia uh if you will of this rankings number two is Packers Bears I mean that matchup is massive uh we're getting ready for it we'll talk a lot about it this week but it just there's so much that can be gleaned from in week one I know it's week one I know that both these teams could look entirely different eight weeks later, nine weeks later, um, that sometimes week one is not indicative of the rest of the season. Uh, So many times you look at week one scores and you're like, how the fuck did this happen? Like I look at like that Houston-Baltimore game, right? I don't know if Houston's going to be good, but I like D'Amico Ryans. I think D'Amico Ryans is a really good coach. I I think, you know, bringing that 49er system to the defense, like would it shock you if the Texans escape and they win 23 to 20 and the Texans have, you know, got out of week one alive or Anthony Richardson just goes off and he has this massive moment week one, but the Colts are one of the worst teams in football for the season. Like that's the type of stuff that happens in week one, right? And so I, I, I'm trying to remember that. And, and I think that's my way of if the Packers do lose this game to remind myself that how much week one doesn't usually matter. Um, but I, I think with all the shit that Bears fans talked and the, the puffing of the chest, I think everybody wants to beat the Bears' ass. And I, I do wonder how much the players know that. I do wonder how much they're seeing, how much the hype of Justin Fields is bothering them. I expect the Packers to have a bit of a chip on their shoulder all season. And I do think it starts with the Bears. Like, would it shock you if the Packers win that game and you hear from Jair Alexander and said, we, all we heard was how good Justin Fields was, how Justin Fields was this, how Justin Fields was that, and he was nothing. Would that would that quote surprise you from Jair Alexander after the game as Packers win? Would for me, because that's I, I kind of wonder if that's how they're feeling. They have to be feeling that a little bit. And Chicago is going to be excited. I think there is so much more pressure on Justin Fields. I think he has to deliver for the city and, it, and he is seen as the savior and I just don't know if Justin Fields is actually that guy and that's that's part of the reason why this matchup is so fascinating because if, if Fields falls flat on his face right there the amount of shit that Bears fans are going to get that the media is going to dogpile on it's going to be astronomical if jo- Jordan Love falls flat on his face and the Bears kick our ass which I, I don't expect. I, I really don't. And maybe that's me being a naive, biased Packer fan. But I would I expect potentially, you know, the Packers to, you know, I, I just don't see it. I don't I don't see how it's possible. And but if it did happen, I, I think that Jordan Love would get a lot of heat, but I, I think that it would 
it would you know kind of marginalize it wouldn't be that big of a deal because some people would be like hey it's his first nfl it's his first game as qb1 it's not him filling in for aaron Rodgers. you know they a lot of guys have had bad first starts and then i think from there you know then jordan love yeah is under a little bit more of a microscope but i don't know if it's going to be as significant if fields were to fall flat on his face we'll stay with wisconsin illinois matchups and our number three is the brewers and cubs at the end of the season the brewers end the season with chicago at american family field it is a awesome way to end the year i think every team should end with the division uh similarly uh, how the nfl does it the fact that the division might be decided at american family field against the cubs against their fan base is going to be something special. Uh, you are going to have Cubs fans there. I plead with Brewer fans, get your tickets now. Make sure that that place is 70-30 Brewer to Cubs fans. There's going to be Cubs fans. There are, there are Cubs fans everywhere. It's a huge, huge fan base, right? But there's no excuses not to be there. You have high school football. The Badgers play Rutgers. And you have, um, I don't I think the Badgers are off that week. The Badgers might have a bye. So you, there's like no excuse. There's no excuse. And even if the Badgers do play Rutgers, I think that's an uh, 11 a.m. start. And the and so yeah, oh no, they don't, they have off. So there is no fucking excuse not to be at Brewers Cubs. Because, uh, and then on Sunday, it is the Packers, Packers have already played. It's a Thursday night game against the Lions. There needs to be so many Brewer fans there. And I know that some Brewer fans are critical of ownership and, Cubs fans love to dunk on us and say, oh, it's Wrigley Field North. Like, you got to shut them up. And I, I do understand if there are less Brewer fans, if the Brewers have already clinched the division. Like, if the Brewers have the division clinched, and it's basically if the Cubs are going to get the four or the five seed, because it looks like it, it's going to take something massive for the Cubs not to get in the playoffs at this point. I think they're at 78% now to make the playoffs. Like, it, it's going to take a monumental, like, September collapse from Chicago, which I think all of us would welcome. But... I do think that, you know, it could be a situation where the Cubs need it more than the Brewers and the Brewers are already kind of on, you know, on fit on house money street and they're looking ahead. So this importance ranking is of the assumption that if it were to start tomorrow and it's a three and a half game lead for the Brewers that, or probably three, cause it'd be the end of the year, three or four, like the Brewers just have to close the door. And the Cubs Brewers series this year has been awesome. I, I said it on a pod last week that I think it's the best rivalry in baseball right now, uh, just because every game is close. Every game feels like the playoffs and this weekend would be no different. And I think the big talking point though is, can you make sure that the Cubs fans are drowned out? You're gonna have Cubs fans there. Like that's just part of it, part of the deal. But can you make sure that it's mostly Brewer fans there? Because as pointed out, there's no real excuse not to get to at least one of those games, if not two, because there's just not a lot of Wisconsin sports going on that weekend. The only real things that are happening are the Brewers and Cubs and the Ryder Cup. And the Ryder Cup's during the day. And that one you can't go to because it's in Rome, Italy. Uh, so that that's a, that one's a little more difficult uh, to make the journey to. But like, you need to be at American Family Field. There is no excuse. I my dad has tickets for Friday. I do not know if I'm getting the call. Uh, that's that's all that I'm hoping I get the call. I feel like I need to be his bouncer. I don't know how he would do around Cubs fans. He's an old man. I don't need him talking shit to some crazy ass Kenosian uh, that wants to fight him. Uh, we just can't have that, right? You know and. And, and we can't have, you know, people who are too poor to afford Wrigley and they have to go to American Family Field trying to fight my father. 
Uh, but yeah, I, I think that's going to be an amazing series. Um, and we'll see if it's, you know, for the division or not. Um, I, and that really is dependent on what happens the rest of September. And I think the goal for the Brewers this month should be, let's make that series not matter. Let's make that series be where we, you know, kind of figure out what our playoff roster looks like, what, you know, who are kind of the fourth and fifth guys if needed from the pitching staff. You know, is Aaron Ashby going to get a look, right? Because he's he's right now doing rehab in uh, Appleton, you know, getting back, trying to, trying to be part of this. Does Garrett Mitchell, you know, have an ability to be on this roster? Like, I, I think that's the hope is that you can basically make this an irrelevant series and just say, all right, we are looking forward to whoever we're playing, you know, as the three seed. And if that's the Marlins, if that's the Reds, if that's the Diamondbacks, if that's the Giants, you know, I, right now it's a four team race, uh, which is crazy. Um, and they're all tied. So it, it's going to be a very fascinating month to watch in general. It should be a lot of fun. But I think for all of our sanities, this I would love this importance ranking not to matter by the end, but it matters now. We're looking ahead to it. We're staring down the barrel of it because the Cubs can't seem to go away. So that's you know what we have in front of us at this very moment. Number four is Matt Lafleur. I, I, this is an important month for Matt Lafleur. I think there's going to be a lot of eyes on Matt Lafleur. How does Matt Lafleur sort of handle you know all of the pressure that is on him to produce? right? Because it's no Aaron Rodgers. It's his show. It's his offense. It should be run the way that LaFleur wants it to. It's him, you know, last two minutes of the game, last two minutes of the first half. It's timeout management. He has to do so much more as a head coach for Jordan Love in this first month. And I think that's really going to be interesting to see if Matt LaFleur is the guy I think he is. I personally think Matt LaFleur is a good coach. I have friends of mine who do not think Matt LaFleur is a good coach, who think Matt LaFleur is a bit overrated and think a lot of the things that Matt LaFleur has done for the last couple of years have been because of Aaron Rodgers, not necessarily because he's a good coach. I I personally feel like the former, um, I feel like he's a good coach. And I, and I think that that could be a huge takeaway from September when it's the 30th and we're four games into the Packers season. People are like, holy shit, Matt LaFleur is a top 10 coach. And he, he can do this. And he's built for this. And he's sort of figured out, you know, how to be even keel. I, I think the biggest worry for LaFleur is that it gets tight sometimes. And he also sticks to his system far too often where, you know, the Packers are down 14 to nothing and he kind of keeps doing it even though it's not working instead of adjusting uh, and adjusting to what's going on and how can, you know, you pull pull it up from the depths. You know, Packers have not been good when they've got punched in the mouth. And it'd be really refreshing to see Green Bay be able to do that. I think with a young team, that's going to be hard. Um, I don't think that's going to be easy, um, especially those close games early on. How will those young guys handle that? How will they handle the pressure? And that's, again, a LaFleur thing. LaFleur needs to have these guys prepared, mentally ready. He needs to also make sure that he's putting this team in the best position to win all phases of the game. Even defensively, I know that's Joe Barry, but Matt LaFleur is going to have some say there and special teams and make sure that everybody is in, you know, in rowing in the same direction. And I, I do think there is a way where Matt LaFleur could really have a bad bad September and a lot of questions around around Matt LaFleur and and really feel like and really feel like there is a 
sort of, shall we say, worry about who he is. I agree with Mitch last week. who was like, Matt Fleur's not going to get fired. I, I agree 100%. There's no way. But if the Packers do go 6-11 and 11 this year, yeah, 6-11, and 11, that would be right. I, I think he's on the hot seat immediately. It's Mark Murphy's last year. So the new chairman of the Packers would take over. He or she would likely you know, want maybe a new face if LaFleur struggles again post Aaron Rodgers. And then you realize how much Aaron Rodgers, you know, carried this team. And I think it actually builds to Aaron Rodgers' legacy that he basically carried LaFleur and Mike McCarthy. Mike McCarthy, though, I will say, I kind of shat on Mike McCarthy a little bit uh, on the podcast yesterday or last week when I, yeah, it was yesterday. It was uh, the Friday pod we did. And I was like, ah, he really didn't do much after LaFleur. Like, he still wins football games the Cowboys. They haven't done anything in the playoffs. But that might be Dak Prescott, right? That might be the team they have. But you look at what the Cowboys have done, they've got to the playoffs with Mike McCarthy. Like Mike McCarthy has done well as the Cowboys head coach so far. So I shouldn't have said that. Um, And I I do wonder like, you know, are we gonna see similarly with Jordan Love and Matt LaFleur? And I I think this is just a, a big month for him. And I think it's a fascination point too, to just see, you know, how different this offense will be without Aaron Rodgers. And, or will it not be as different as we might think it is? Number five, going back to baseball, Christian Yelich uh, is my number five. What's been kind of maybe under the radar or not talked about a lot is that Christian Yelich really did not have a good August. Uh, It was a really kind of rough August for Christian Yelich that you saw teams sort of adjust to what Christian Yelich has been doing this season. And he sort of fell off the wagon a little bit. He's still having a good year, right? He's 278. His OPS is 806. He has 17 home runs, 69 RBIs, um, 27 stolen bases. His war is nearly three. Second highest war to William Contreras, who is at three. So, I mean, he's right there as the most important offensive player but he had a rough August. It was not, you know, his month. He hit 248 in the month of August with only one home run. He had only six extra base hits total, including that home run and five doubles. So really was just a singles hitter. Uh, 29 strikeouts, which was his highest since uh, April. He had 28 in June. He had 33 in April. Uh, yeah, it was it was a rough. It was a rough month for Yelich. He did still take a lot of walks, like 17 total, uh, which is his tied for his highest for the month of the season. He got his first day off uh, on Sunday and, and he did pinch hit in the ninth inning and struck out against Craig Kimbrell. But I think that that was intentional. Uh, Yelich's last 30 days, has he's had 214, uh, 21 of 98, uh, only four extra base hits in total, 30 strikeouts overall. Uh, yeah, it's it's not necessarily that good for Christian Yelich and definitely needs to be improved. And I, I hope that he hasn't flamed out. I hope that, you know, this isn't sort of the Yelich we saw the last couple of years. I still think with the guys they have and the way that William Contreras is playing, the Mark Canna's recent hot streak, Carl Santana's been playing well. Adamas has at least been a little bit revived. Like you can probably survive with Christian Yelich struggling, but I, I, I do I do hope that he you know finds it again because the Brewers are just such a better team when he is just mashing baseballs. And I do think you know teams being a little more careful with Yelich has opened it up for Contreras. Um, and part of the reason why Contreras 
is succeeding. Um, and he's he's been great and just really awesome to watch him. But yeah, I think getting Yelich back to what we saw in May and June would be tremendous, right? Uh, hitting was hitting 320 in the month of June, uh, was absolutely ripping the cover off the ball, had uh, 13, what is that? Yeah, 13 extra base hits in June. Like if, maybe not to that level, but if we could get Yelich, you know, similarly to that, that point, it'd be great. And hopefully we'll, hopefully we'll see that. And hopefully, you know, it's not a sign of Yelich slowing down. Maybe it's just a tough schedule. Remember the Brewers faced a lot of good teams and a lot of good pitchers. So it's very possible that, you know, part of Yelich's struggles could have been due to just the level of competition. Now, that does that worry you for the playoffs? Maybe. But hopefully Yelich can kind of find it again, make some adjustments, you know, for the remainder of the season. Number six, uh, the Packers-Lions matchup. You have to talk about that from a divisional mat, divisional perspective. Uh, Murph, you'll hear it on the podcast later this week, thinks that could be a matchup of two 3-0 teams heading into that week. I think that might be a little ambitious, but it's still going to be a huge matchup. You know, you've heard all of the hype around the Lions to start the year. Everyone thinks this Detroit Lions football team could be very good uh, this season. And you you hope that they don't come in desperate, right? I think that's the biggest fear as a Packer fan. They have a schedule where they could hypothetically be one and two to start the year. Uh, they go to Kansas City on Thursday night, which I do not think is going to go well for them. Then they're home to play Seattle. They're home against Atlanta before their next game against Green Bay. So I think more likely it's their two and one. The Packers might be three and zero. Oh. Um, I. I I could see that Seattle game being a loss, but it's your home opener. The excitement around the Lions has never been higher. So, and you have 10 days to prepare for that Seahawks team uh, with opening the football schedule. So I, I think it'll be an awesome matchup. I think that the Packers owe the Lions after last year. Uh, you know, you lost back-to-back games to them. I think that that, you know, we talked about the chip on our shoulder and the Packer-Bear matchup. I think they're should be a chip on your shoulder playing the Lions and making sure that you're telling them, hey, we still run this shit. You guys do not run this. You're the Lions. You've been little brother. It's not a rivalry. We don't take you seriously and we're going to kick your ass. And you can't have the Lions going to Lambeau back-to-back years and beat the Packers. That that's a that would be a huge moment for Detroit. And Detroit loves to play the underdog card. And if the Packers can beat them, that would be a major moment. I think the Lions are going to come in favor to that matchup, by the way, though. I think unless like something goes off the rails or Jared Goff gets hurt, I think the Lions are going to be favored in that matchup, which is absolutely absurd to hear about. The last time the Lions won at Lambeau back-to-back years was 2017 and 2018. Now, granted, that 2018 year, the Packers, it was the last game of the year. That team was completely... And utterly checked out. But yeah, the Lions had some success after, you know, the long losing streak that they had against the Packers in at Lambeau Field. And they it's definitely been more of a Lions focused rivalry recently. So the Packers have an opportunity to sort of sort of shift that and make it more part of more Green Bay Packers as it was, you know, back in the day as we grew up. And Jordan Love's first taste of that Lions defense, which Got better as the year go went on, but I'm not I'm not entirely sold that that Lions team really you know was you know as good as maybe people made it out to be. I'm I'm shorting the Lions. I've said that pretty much all summer long. 
Number seven, we're finally going to talk about college football. And I don't know if I'd have this guy seven if I didn't see last week, but uh, I'm going to put Tanner Mordecai there. Um, Tanner Mordecai, I thought, was not as good as as maybe was expected. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of Tanner Mordecai heading into the year. Uh, I'd watched him at SMU and felt like he was not as everybody made him up to be. He was a good quarterback, but he made some silly mistakes and a lot of SMU's problems last year were because Mordecai tried to force balls in instead of taking what the defense gave gave him. And you're kind of seeing that on display at least through week one. Now it's just week one. You don't want to overreact. But I do think if Mordecai struggles in the three games that the Badgers have in September, there's going to be a lot of pressure on Luke Fickle and Mordecai to do something big against Rutgers before your toughest stretch of the season in October. The Badgers have to make sure that in those three games that Mordecai looks the part, he looks ready for this moment, and the moment doesn't look too big. It looked a little bit like the moment was too big for Tanner Mordecai. And I just hope that is week one nerves and that he sort of gets back to feeling you know himself and develops in Phil Longo's system. Phil Longo has developed a lot of great quarterbacks in Drake May and Sam Howell and you know more there's no reason that Mordecai can't be the next guy. I just I think this is kind of what I expected a little bit. I just wonder if there's going to be more pressure on Mordecai after what we saw in week one. Um I, I, I think that there are some question marks there. I don't I doubt that people will call for his job. I don't think that Braden Locke, the redshirt freshman, will get that nod right away, especially given the fact how tough the Badger schedule gets in October. That's a lot on a redshirt freshman unless Longo and the boys feel like he's ready. Staying with Wisconsin, uh, the Wisconsin-Washington State matchup this Saturday has become more fascinating, I feel like, after week one. Washington State absolutely shit-pumped Colorado State on the road. They put up 50 on Colorado State. Washington State had a bunch of new transfers in. It did not fucking matter for Cam Ward and the boys. And the Cougs laid on Washington State thick. And the Badgers defense had some questions. And now this is a huge matchup in the Palouse. Uh, I think the Pac-12 might be the best conference in football this year. That's at least a week one overreaction. No question about it with... Everybody winning that entire conference going undefeated, which there's obviously irony there considering it all falling apart, which just makes it so much worse for George Kirkloff, the uh, Pac-12 commissioner. But I do think Washington State's going to want to make a statement. They're on ABC. I get the eyeballs won't exactly be there. Texas-Alabama plays at pretty much the same time. So really the only people watching are likely Wisconsin fans and Washington State fans. But if that Texas-Alabama game gets out of hand, like we saw with LSU-Florida State, Eyes might be there and it might be Washington State's way to say like, give us a chance here at the Power Five level. We don't want to play in the Mountain West, which I do think will happen. I think that's where ultimately Washington State and Oregon State are destined to go. But I I do believe that they feel like they're better than that. And they want to continue to play with that chip on their shoulder. Now, Wisconsin's coming in with revenge. I realize that not everybody played in that game last year. Mordecai didn't. Uh, Will Pauling, the wide receiver, other grad tra- all their transfers haven't played in that game. But guys like Braylon Allen, Malusi, remember that. And, you know, Fickle talked about Malusi's leadership, you know, heading into or after game one and heading into it. I would imagine that Ches Malusi's all week talking to that team about how much they want to get back and how much they want to have their own statement. Because I think if the Badgers were to go to Washington State, a very tough place to play and win that football game, 
I think that, you know, changes sort of the attitude and the feel of what the Badgers could do and the ceiling of the Badgers, you know, increases. I, I think that that suddenly take, takes up a notch and you feel a lot better about what the Badgers could be this year. Now, if they were to lose to Washington State, am I overreacting to it? Not really, because I, I think we're, we, we're seeing Washington State's not a bad team and they were a pretty competent football team last year. And it's a tough place to play. It's a, asking a lot of a team that's just getting familiar with each other. So I'm not gonna freak out if they lose that football game. I'm not gonna lose my mind. I, I think that it, it would be okay. It, it is a step back. But I, I think if you're expecting this team to be in the playoff, you're out of your fucking gourd. Like you're just that like that should not be even in your your front view mirror. You should hope it may make the Big Ten championship game, you know, have a chance against whether it's Michigan, Penn State, or Ohio State. And that is that should be the goal, right? It should not be, hey, we can make the playoffs. I realize that could be loser mentality. But you just have to be honest with yourself. The Badgers are a year away, maybe two years away from that. And Fickle, how he's built, that's kind of been the the progress, right? It did not start pretty in Cincinnati. It did not start pretty when he had one year at Ohio State. But I think as Luke Fickle builds the program and gets the program to where he needs it to be, you'll start seeing that. And you just, as we talked about at the early part of this pod, you have to have patience. And so I don't worry if they lose to to Washington State. I think it would suck. It would be, you know, obviously a very shitty weekend if Washington State beats the Badgers and the Bears beat the Packers. That would be nightmare city. But I, I think if, you know, we have one of one and two and it's Packers winning but Badgers losing, I think we'll a lot of us will take that. Uh number nine, I have David Bakhtiari. Um I, I so I have David Bakhtiari, but I do have a bonus one uh in football. I Bakhtiari really hasn't practiced much in the month of August. I don't know what that's all about. Um, I, is he ready to go? Is he not ready to go? I, I don't fear the Bears pass rush, right? But I, I just wonder, is Bakhtiari going to be ready for the start of the season? Is he going to be up to game speed? Or is it going to take Bakhtiari some time to really sort of get settled in uh, to being a, a left tackle for Jordan Love? And I just, I feel like it's a little strange uh, the amount of time he's been missing, but who knows? Maybe... Maybe there is a method to that madness and there there's a reason for that. But I just, I, I wanted to call it out as I, I, a guy I, I'm going to have an eye on. Number 10, uh, Brewers-Marlins matchups, both of them. Uh, Milwaukee-Miami uh, has been a thing uh, in basketball. It is in baseball. Uh, the Marlins have kind of got hot again. There There's some concerns about that Marlins team. Uh, their run differential is worse than the Brewers. Uh, they they really struggled in the back half of the year. Their bullpen has not been that strong, but sweeping the Nationals have put them right back into the race. And that's sometimes all it takes. And you'll have seven games between the Brewers and Marlins and you'll have a desperate Marlins team. Who knows where they are in the standings when those games go on. It's going to be next week at American Family Field. Then they go out to Miami for a weekend series uh, in a couple weeks. And also too, like, gotta watch those young guys in Miami, right? They get a weekend in Miami in September. Uh, that... Hopefully the focus will be there. I'd worry more about that in June or July, uh, but you just hope that everybody's everybody's keeping a cool booty and not necessarily uh, going out and trying to hit up Alex Earl in the DMs, right? Uh, that that would be uh, that would be much appreciated uh, for the Brewers. But yeah, they those are going to be tough games, and that could be a potential you know playoff matchup. Uh, that's 
MLB's worst nightmare. That's the NBA TV version of MLB Network, I guess would be the example that you'd use. But because every one of those games will be at like noon. Uh, no one's gonna, no one's really gonna watch by Milwaukee versus Miami in a playoff series. I think that is exactly what baseball does not want. They, they would take Milwaukee, San Francisco. They would take Milwaukee, Cincinnati because of the Ali De La Cruz factor. Milwaukee, Arizona would equally on par uh, with uh, Milwaukee, Miami. Although Milwaukee and Arizona played a playoff classic um, in 2011, as you all know. Okay, before I go to the honorable mention, I have to at least mention Aaron Rodgers. I think Aaron Rodgers is part of this importance rankings. We're all going to keep an eye on what Aaron Rodgers does. It'll be hard to avoid it. He's the topic of the NFL to start the season. It, there will be a lot of Rodgers discussion on the broadcast, I think, from Burkhardt and Olsen. You have a Monday night game between the Bills and the Jets, so you are immediately your immediately focus is on Aaron Rodgers. Um, I, I Looking at the, the Jets' schedule, they're going to be very hard to avoid for weeks on end, right? Uh, for the first three weeks of the season, you have, well, the New England game on the 24th, so the Packers are playing at the same time. I would imagine that Jets Patriots will be featured on CBS. So yeah, you I guess you do avoid them early on. But other than that, like there's no running from the Jets. You have the Jets against the Bills on a Monday night. You have Jets Cowboys in Dallas uh, as the premier CBS game um, on the 17th. Then you have Jets Patriots as a nooner. I think you know most of us won't be watching that. If you're if you're watching Jets Patriots over Jets or Packers Saints, you are the problem, and you don't you don't deserve to be a Packer fan. Then you have Jets Chiefs on on Sunday night, which will be an awesome game that I think all of us will have our eyes towards and then the Jets Denver game which I think there's another 325 game during that eight eight that October 8th but I'm willing to bet that you will see you will see the Packers uh find their way or pack or the Wisconsin area getting that game I think we're gonna get a lot more Jets games they know you know where their bread is buttered they want to make sure that they're gonna get the best ratings possible let's look at that week six against I think that's or maybe it's week five yeah, so it's it's week five, Jets, Bron- yeah, Chiefs, Vikings. Oh, so that's going to be really interesting, right? So I'll be curious to see what they do. And this is the stuff I nerd out over, so I won't do it too much on the pod because we're already over time. But you have Jets, Broncos, but you also have Chiefs, Vikings. Chiefs, Vikings, I think, is the bigger game. I think that's where you have Nance and Romo. But it, do, you, do you give Jets, Broncos to Green, to Wisconsin? I don't know. Fascinating to see. I hope I'm sure Vikings fans are hoping they they get the game because there's a lot of a lot of East Dakotans uh, here in Wisconsin. All right, honorable mentions for the important strings. I have a lot of them. Uh, Joe Barry, uh, the Packer Saints matchup. Uh, Christian Watson, uh, Freddie Peralta, De- uh, Devin Williams, uh, Luke Fickle in general. Uh, Mike Tressel, the defensive coordinator for the Badgers. Those are kind of the other guys I thought about putting in there. They didn't make the list. Uh, let me know if you have any or how your rankings would look. Uh, hit me up on the X platform, formerly Twitter, uh, Tapping the Keg, or on Instagram. You can drop the DMs are always open, Tapping the Keg Sports, on what your importance rankings look like. I uh, would love to see them. Even if it's not 10, even if it's just three, uh, maybe I'll put something on our Instagram stories too for that. All right. Let's move on to what happened over Labor Day weekend. The Brewers and the Phillies, a successful series for your Milwaukee Brewers. They take two out of three from Philadelphia, uh, and it was a really solid weekend for the crew. Uh, They came all the way back on 
Friday night was such a awesome game. I wish I was watching. Um, I was going home from an awesome supper club in New Holstein. Schwartz's or Schwartz's. I want to say Schwartz, but it's Schwartz Supper Club. Would recommend. It was awesome. My wife and I had a great experience. It's probably, we live in the Burbs. It was about an 80 minute drive for us uh, up there, but not too much traffic. Really pretty drive. Very scenic. Uh, tough on the way home because it's pitch black. And there's really not like a highway route to get there. Uh, so that is something to watch out for. If you're not a huge fan of night driving, uh, that would not be the drive home for you. But it was excellent. Uh, my wife ordered better than I did. Uh, her prime rib was top notch. But anyways, going back to the Brewers, we were home, We were listening to the game on the way home. I uh, was able to get 620 for most of it. And Euchre was completely crestfallen when they give up the home run to Trey Turner. Phillies grabbed the lead. And it's kind of like, what the fuck? I actually almost wanted Pionis to stay in that game because he gets out Schwarber and I'm like, all right, just let him finish this game. Finish this inning. Like he has it. I believe in it. I know Pionis has been a little shaky, uh, but then, you know, Williams gives up the homer and the Brewers then strike back for four runs in the next inning. It was awesome, awesome to listen to that on the way home. Really felt like a true Wisconsinite, you know, supper club, listening to Euchre, get all excited on the way home. It was awesome. Uh, had a lot of fun with that. And then on Saturday, you had the Brewers just, you know, making sure they shut the door. It was, the Phillies are relentless. And it was, it, you know, Brewers got out to a big lead on Aaron Nola. And, you know, credit to them for their adjustments on Aaron Nola. Aaron Nola shut us down uh, earlier in Philadelphia, and he did not in Milwaukee. So credit to the Brewers on that. Uh, they did a really good job against him. And Colin Ray did just enough. And then on on Sunday, they really should have swept. And, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about that. But yeah, it was still a good weekend. And the Brewers now put themselves in a beautiful spot for the month of September. They are 98% chance to make the playoffs. I think it's 98.7 to be exact. Uh, the Brewers are in a position where they're three and a half up on the Cubs. They have the tiebreaker over Philadelphia now. So if things really do go off the rails for the Brewers, they still have the opportunity to host the wild card against the Phillies if they have the same record as Philadelphia. That's massive. That's a massive thing for the Brewers to have under their wing. They really don't have tiebreakers against the Giants and the Diamondbacks, but it doesn't look like it would take sort of a massive run from either of those teams to sort of get up to that, you know, not the, not playing the division winner of the NL Central. So I think the Brewers are in a really good spot here in September. I don't want them to take the foot off the gas pedal. Obviously, with the Cubs in your rearview mirror, I think it's hard to do that. But I, they are in a very nice sort of position. Freddy Peralta continues to dominate. He gave up the home run to Kyle Schwarber to start the game. But after that, Freddy Peralta was absolutely in his bag. Uh, he has been such a good pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers uh, in this second half. He was pitcher of the month for the month of August, and he definitely deserved that honor. Uh, it's been an absolute joy to watch Freddy Peralta figure it out in the second half after so many questions about Freddy Peralta and what he was doing to just figure it all out now has been just excellent. Uh, for the month of August, 210, five, five wins on the year, 46 strikeouts and only seven runs allowed uh, in his start against the Phillies, that one home run against Kyle Schwarber. He only allowed two hits overall, struck out 10 Phillies batters. I mean, Freddy Peralta is looking more like an ace than any of the guys the Brewers have. I still think Freddie Peralta is your third guy out, but there, 
I think there at least needs to be a discussion, and maybe that's something Mitch and I can talk about later this week, about if Freddie Peralta is actually your two. And if you do bring Freddie out for the second game of the of it and you back it up with Woodruff. Um, I, think, I think there might need to be a discussion about that, just given how good Freddie Peralta has been this season and he'll he'll get another chance against Pittsburgh Pirates um on Wednesday in Pittsburgh to kind of continue the way he's been doing and his Pittsburgh year it's been a up and down uh he's 397 against Pittsburgh but Pittsburgh has not I think seen Fred in the second half of the season he I don't think he pitched in that series when they played the Pirates earlier this month in August no he did not so the last time he played the Pirates they, they won five to two on a Sunday uh, but he he had had given up a couple home runs, did strike out nine in that. Uh, and then his first start against Pittsburgh, oh, at Pittsburgh, he struggled. That was a Friday. That was the Matt Bush walk-off, the last of the Matt Bush era, thankfully. Uh, so hopefully uh, Fred can bounce back against them in PNC on Wednesday. But it's been awesome to watch Freddie Peralta play baseball right now. Uh, Freddie Day is, has been a lot of fun in the second half. I so I talked a little bit about it uh, in the kind of macro sense, but just being able to win with Colin Ray on the mound against a really good team like the Phillies is amazing. Uh, I would not have told you to bet any money on the Brewers money line on that. I would say, go stay the fuck away. It's Colin Ray. Uh, but Colin Ray proved me wrong, man. He, you know, he did give up his two home runs, but they, they were solo shots. So that's fine. Um, I don't think Colin Ray should be part of the playoff roster. Uh, it sounds like he's only going to make one start. Uh, the Brewers could potentially, you know, go with a four-man rotation. Uh, they have an open spot right now for their game against the Yankees on Friday. But with the day off, potentially, they could look at that as an opportunity to bump up Miley. I don't know if you'd want to do that, but uh, we'll see if Colin Ray does pitch again. I hope not. Uh, I wanted Robert Gasser, and we got Colin Ray, Owen Miller, and Clayton Andrews. Uh, that that is so Brewers it hurts. Um, that we could have got Tyler Black, we could have got uh, Gasser, maybe even Torrio. No, we're gonna get fucking uh, Colin Ray and, and those guys. But they got the win, and that's that's all I can ask for. Uh, the Phillies are terrifying offensively. I I will say that there's a team in October that can compete. Uh, offensively, uh, they are as good as anybody um, in terms of that offense. It's it is a real murderer's row from one to seven, uh, and they can score with the best of them. I, I still wonder about their pitching. Uh, I, I think that Wheeler has struggled on the road in the past. He didn't. He really only made one mistake on on Friday. Wheeler to me is an ace, right? But Nola has been up and down all year. He's not been the guy that I think Philadelphia wants. Ranger Suarez, for the most part, was impressive on on Sunday. So maybe you have that. And but their bullpen, do you really trust Craig Kimbrell? Sir Anthony Dominguez has been better, but like Gregory Soto has been okay. Alvarado blew up. Uh, Belente, I think, for the Phillies struggled on s- Saturday. Like I just. I don't know if they have enough pitching in October. Uh, they certainly have the hitting though. Uh, their hitting is unreal. And that's a team that could potentially be there at the end again. Uh, but it, I think we can power rank the playoffs when the dust is settled. But I think the Phillies are going to be right there. Um, and they definitely need to be taken seriously. Craig Council costs the team a sweep. I Look, I love Craig. I, I rarely criticize Craig Council. Um, but it, I just did not understand trying to bring Wade Miley out for a seventh inning. I understand that he had a no-hitter going. I understand that he was pitching well against that Phillies team. But as we just talked about, that offense is terrifying. That offense can wake up at any moment. And they woke up in that seventh inning. And I just don't know. Like, I even don't have a problem with bringing him out for the seventh. 
But why don't you have Abner Uribe ready? So he gives up the home run to Castellanos. I think it was Castellanos, right? They gives up the home run too. Like, why do you not have somebody ready to go, you know, for you in that, in that, oh, Alex Bohm, excuse me. Castellanos had the double in the seventh, but Bohm hits the home run. After that happens, get fucking Uribe in there. Don't have Uribe on with multiple guys on base. Uribe then struggles, gives up the run to Trey Turner, uh, which gave the Phillies an extra, you know, insurance run. So yeah, really, really frustrating stuff uh, in that regard. I know they were trying to preserve the bullpen. Um, and that's, I mean, they did for the most part, right? You had Andrew Chafin and you had Bryce Wilson. So you're able to reset your bullpen. Your bullpen's able to get a day off your A guys, your Milner, your Piamis, your Piguero, uh, Devin Williams. So I understand if some of those guys were down, but still, I feel like the Brewers should have done a little bit more uh, in terms of getting their guys ready for that. Uh, but that's just sometimes how it goes. And it, it was it was a little bit frustrating. I do like how uh, Mark Canna, Will, William Contreras, and Carlos Santana are all playing right now. They're playing really hot. I think just the fact that Canna and Santana have been playing really well is just a big middle finger to the haters. Everyone's like, oh, the Brewers didn't do enough. And it's like, these guys are fucking producing. I think Mark Canna, I saw it on the Peacock broadcast, 286 with the Brewers, three home runs, 16 RBIs. That's that's what you want. That's what you need, right? It's, it's so you don't have Owen Miller out there. Um, and that's kind of the hope and that you're not relying on so many rookies and the Brewers definitely course corrected there. Matt Arnold has done a great job in year one um, and William Contreras is part of that too, right? The fact the Brewers were able to convince the A's and the Braves to give us William Contreras is something I, I still don't understand, but I absolutely love it. Uh, Contreras is a star and he's 13 game hitting streak. He's tearing the absolute cover off the ball um, and really playing good baseball right now for for the Baruka. Uh, and they get ready for this Pirate series that starts tonight. We have no idea who's pitching uh, for the Pirates. Uh, it's currently undecided. I don't know. Do we have one? Yeah, it's undecided, but you have Burns, Woodruff, Peralta. Uh, so th- definitely a series that the Brewers, you know, need to take care of business. Uh, they split against the Pirates uh, in Milwaukee. Was that last early August? Like, yeah, that can't happen. Like, you can't lose two out of three to this Pirates team. Uh, I know the Yankees are playing better baseball who you play over the weekend. Uh, and the Pirates have been okay. Uh, they... They've, they've up and down. They lost yesterday to the Cardinals, but they did win that series and they beat the beat the Royals. They swept the Royals. So like they've, they've been playing decent baseball, but they've been playing it against bad teams. So Brewers just need to come in there and bring down the hammer against that Pirates baseball team. And especially when you have Burns, Woodruff, and Peralta. Like not winning two out of three there would be absolutely ridiculous. You can't, you just can't have that. Uh, especially with the guys you have. And I understand maybe it's Pirate, you know, it's kind of like a World Series for the Pirates, you know, is their last chance against the Brewers kind of can play spoiler. I don't necessarily think that kind of conversation comes into play until like the end of the year when it's, you know, guys trying to fight for roster spots and trying to make an impression for the 2024 season. I, I feel like we're like three weeks away from it. I think that's more of a discussion when they play the Cardinals, you know, a couple times, you know, at the end of the season. Moving on and moving to the other big game that happened over the weekend, the Wisconsin Badgers against the Buffalo Bulls. We do have takeaways from that game. The start was unlike anything people had wanted. Uh, The Wisconsin Badgers really did not play well in that first half of that football game. Uh, it It was definitely a, you know early season football game like it was it very felt preseason ask for the Badgers uh they did not seem ready to play it seemed like there was a little bit of confusion Tanner Mordecai struggled 
And then they really figured it out in the second half. They made some great second half adjustments overall and credit to both sides of the football in that second half uh, because it's 14 to 10 and could have been a oh, Badgers are an upset alert. And they pulled away from that Buffalo team. I think it was 31 to 10 at one point of that football game. So it, it really it really became the Badgers game in that second half and just a night and day difference and definitely what you want and definitely feel better about the matchup against Washington State this week, just knowing what they did in that second half. And, you know, to dive into the takeaways, I really don't think that it's a big deal. Their offense started slow. I think this is an acclimation period. I think everybody's getting comfortable. I think you can say that there was a little bit of nerves, right? It's your first game. With your new system, a lot of new guys, a lot of new faces. You know, if uh, Sky Bell catches that ball from Tanner Mordecai, which was an absolute fucking piss missile, um, they are, that's a touchdown. The Badgers are 21 to 10. And we're thinking about that first half entirely different, right? Even with the interception, even with, and I think Mordecai might have thrown an interception on that same drive, but that was such a huge drop. And you think about that, if that drop doesn't happen, that first half is entirely different. It's entirely thought of in a different way. So I think it was partly the nerves. I think it's partly the new system. It was hot as shit. It's hottest game at Camp Randall, uh, 92 degrees. Like that's that's a lot, lot to deal with, you know, in week one. So I'm not too worried about it. I do hope that the preparation is a little bit better against Washington State. And because the same sort of nerves will be there. It's your first road game. It's a tough environment. It's a primetime game. Like there's a lot of things to be worried about. So hopefully, you know, that sort of stuff, you know, you take a deep breath and you learn from last week. Number two, I think the Badgers look like the old Badgers except updated, which is okay. I don't think that's a big deal. Uh, I I actually, weirdly, I was watching Texas Tech Wyoming uh, on CBS late uh, because I had went out to dinner with my family or my wife's family, but you know, part of the family. And I, so anyways, I, I I had the news on after and they showed the Badger highlights and Bill Walsh, I believe his name, uh, the CBS reporter was like, they kind of look like the old Badgers. Like they were running the football. And, but Kevin, Kevin Holden pointed out the sports, uh, I think he's the sports director for CBS. He was like, you know what? That's fine. Like, I, I don't mean to be an old man out of your car, but like, why? That's not a big deal. And I agree with Kevin 100%. Like, they rushed for 314 yards. Like, I don't necessarily need the Badgers to throw the ball all over the field. The fact that they can is exactly what you want. You want the ability to throw the ball all over the field when when possible. The fact that Braylon Allen and Ches Malusi both rushed for nearly 150 yards. Ches was 157. Braylon Allen, I believe, 143. And it was, it was a great, dynamic thunder and lightning. And I thought the way... Phil Longo set up both guys. The way that he managed both guys was tremendous. And I don't think that's something that we've seen a lot of in the Paul Christ era, in the Brett Bielema era, like where he used Malusi more early on and then said, okay, we're going to take Braylon Allen out of the garage and we're going to pound you into the ground as it's hot as shit, as it's late in this game, and we're going to wear you down because you're a max school and you don't have the bodies to keep up with a guy like Braylon Allen. That's exactly what Phil Longo did, and that was awesome. And watching, you know, how they use both guys was really good, and it it's very interchangeable. And I, I think you're going to see more of that. I think you will see Braylon Allen have more of a 
a kind of RB1 approach, I think, as the year goes on. I think this is just more of a way to kind of load manage him a bit. And I don't think it's a big deal at all that Malusi got a lot of carries. Um, I do wonder, though, who is going to be the guy on defense. Uh, I saw somebody, and it was Ryan Kahn, who I respect, was basically critical of Leonard's recruiting and that he really didn't, hasn't left the cupboard a little bare uh, for this defense. Um, I don't know enough to give you an expert opinion on if that is accurate or not. But I, I do think a lot of questions are going to re- remain. Uh, Mike Lucas, former uh, analyst for Badger Radio, was like, how many playmakers do the Badgers have on defense? Answer, not as many in the past. There's some potential, and that is not to say some, some of those game changers won't emerge. But this is a unit that's going to need to find ways to create takeaways to hide some warts. I absolutely agree with that. Uh, I think Mike Lucas can sometimes be a Badger homer, but maybe because he's not on the broadcast, he's not working for Wisconsin anymore, that basically you're you're getting a bit of more analysis and you're getting a little more honesty. And, and you know, Mike's watched the Badgers more than anybody else. I think that's out there. And I think it's a really, really astute opinion because I don't know how many guys are on that defense. Uh, I think Hunter Wooler can be a guy. I think Jordan Taylor, Jordan Turner can be a guy. Um, I, I butcher his name. I'm so we're gonna try. Uh, Mama uh, Nogometa, I think, can be a guy. Uh, but it, it's going to take some time. And I, I mentioned the corners that they were really young at that cornerback position, and it, it's kind of looking that way. And I worry against Washington State, right? Uh, Washington State's offense put up 50 points in Week One. And it could easily be a shootout that Badger fans are not accustomed to because I don't know if that defense is entirely entirely ready for it. As also pointed out by uh, the Lockdown Badgers host, Ryan Horings, 41 attempts for the bad, for Buffalo and zero sacks for the Badgers defense. That's bad. Uh, that is, that's definitely an issue. Um, and definitely something Mike Tressel is going to have to figure out um, because you're you're not going to win many games if you're not sacking the quarterback and not make, as Lucas said, you got to make plays got to make something happen. I I will say the one thing that you can hold your hat on is on third down they were Buffalo was 1 of 13 and on fourth down they were 1 of 3. So they made some really solid adjustments to make sure that they were not getting the sticks moved on them and maybe that's your saving grace that they might not have the playmakers but they do enough tack tactfully or t- tactically that's the word <laughs> tactically not tactfully tactile that they're going to have the tactics there to slow down some of these offenses and we're going to have to see it on saturday against washington state uh i i already said it in the importance ratings i don't need to repeat i'm i would say my stock is down on tanner morikai i don't i'm not ha- i'm not on tanner morikai island um i'm looking to get off the island i'm looking to sell my shares um, but may, you know that might change, right? Um, that's probably my biggest overreaction is I have big time concerns about Tanner Morikai. And then I, the last thing is I think the offensive line looked really good and they did a good job of protecting Morikai. It's just a matter of Morikai being comfortable with that offensive line. And I, I think part of it is potentially, you know, we played at SMU where you, you probably wasn't accustomed to having this good of an offensive line and he wasn't accustomed to having these big of boys. And so I think now that he has it, I, I wonder if that's helping Tanner Mordecai a little bit. So we'll have to see. All right, that does it for today's show. A long podcast, uh, almost a hour long uh, with me today uh, for Monday and Tuesday. We'll be back Wednesday with Murph. You'll have a solo pod for me, not till Friday. So uh, if you like the solo pods, I'm sorry to disappoint. You won't hear me till Friday. 
where we're going to go over betting lines for uh, Wisconsin, Washington State, as well as Packers, Bears. All right, take care, guys. Have a good one. We will see you tomorrow with, or Wednesday with Murph. Take care. Bye.